Woke up this morning with the sundown shining in him. Where's the money, Lebowski? Where's the f***ing money, head? Oh, it's, uh, oh, oh, it's down there somewhere. Let me take another look. I found my mind in a brown paper bag, but then... 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. Trip. On a cloud and fell eight miles high. I told my man on a jagged sky. Okay, you know you guys aren't privy to all the new. So, uh, you know that's what you uh, that's what you pay me for. I just dropped in to see what condition my condition was in. Illinois Nazis. I hate Illinois Nazis. Yeah, let's cut through the chase, okay? What are you guys selling? I lost you $60,000. There is no one who wants to make that money back for you more than I do. There's just one thing, dude. What's that? You have to use so many cuss words. What the f*** are you talking about? Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. I woke up this morning with the sun down. Shining in Well, Craig Pappas on the board. Uh, S&P futures are down 34, ouch. NASDAQ futures down 155. This is after the sell-off yesterday. Um, Turkey Central Bank just raised their interest rates to guess where, Greg? 17,000. Oh, that's their interest rates. 17,000. <laughs> 30%. Ouch. Well, their yeah. inflation's still, what, 80? So Something like that. Do, we have, do we have Professor Liu? If you ask, they might be giants. It's no one's business but the Turks. Do you uh, know that song, Chief? Uh, actually, no, I don't. Greg, do you? If you go to Constantinople. Oh yeah, oh yeah, we'll get that. Up. <laughs> it, it's nobody's business but the Turks. Anyway, uh, I'm good. Uh, I, I want to start off with a light item, and then we can move to something more serious, like what in the heck is happening with the Chicago Bears? Um. But the light one is, you you know who Lauren Bovert is? Why does her name ring a bell? Well, she's a she's a a congressman congresswoman from the western part of Chicago or uh, Colorado. Okay. Uh, she's reasonably hot, um, older. You know, I don't know what she's probably late forties, early fifties, but but in good shape and and very, you know very attractive. She's like thirty six. Oh no, she's not that young, is she? I think so. She's got a kid that's eighteen too. Yeah, that's why I think she's in her. That's why I think she's in her. Uh, she's in her was in her fifties. But anyway, oh no, you're right. Thirty six years old. Wow. Okay. Started, so, so, started. so, Greg, you dated her? Will not confirm or deny. Well, Greg, Greg knows who. Movie Greg and knows, movie theaters. Greg knows who she is. Yeah, Greg knows uh, uh, theaters. She was in a play. Ah. Greg knows who she is because of uh, anyway. She she gets kicked out of the Bueller Theater here in in Chicago. Um, for Colorado, poor Colorado for poor conduct. They were watching a play. She apparently was singing, clapping her hands, dancing before the show. She was vaping. Uh, so finally, somebody says, "Hey, you gotta calm down, cut it out," and they kick her. They kick her out. But the guy she was dating apparently it was a, like a first date. The guy she was dating is some. Uh, Democratic, may big Democratic donor. She's a Republican. Big Democratic donor from Aspen, who has a, a very upscale bar that hosts a lot of, you know, uh, 
what are referred to as LBTQ, RSTUV. Well, in the immortal words of uh, Doug Redman, the coach, if you got dough, they'll work with you. Well, so the question everybody was asking was, you know, why would this guy who has this bar and is, you know, active in Democratic type events and progressive type events, why on earth would he go out on a date with a Republican congresswoman? And of course, the immediate response, for me anyway, was, did you see the dress she was wearing? <laughs> <laughs> and what she looked like because I, I thought I thought that was a great dress. Greg, did you see the video of it? You obviously have. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> okay. now, Lou, Lou, if you weren't how, happily married, how, you, you, how many how many times? Oh no, she's she's way she's way too. Yeah, she the, was doing inappropriate stuff in the theater, vaping, and uh, yeah. Lou, no, if you, if you, if you weren't happily petting. married, you'd be you'd happy to have a date with AOC. Uh, no. No, I'm, there's a certain level of of intellectual, you know, activity that That's I true. They need to be able to read a book without pictures at least once, or what? Yeah, yeah, in ladies that I would associate with, and uh, I am I am very happily married right now because of the uh, because of exactly that fact. Um, anyway, it just it was just hilarious. People go, why on earth would a, would a guy date somebody like that? And I'm going, a he's a guy. B she she's who she is. And I mean, C just look at the dress. Um, well, anyway. then what Carver, he's still married to Mary Madeline, isn't he? And they're totally opposite on the political. They don't, oh, yeah. they don't I, see I, each I, other during the campaign season or something? I don't, I don't, I don't think, uh, you know, uh, that's what that's what makes life interesting, to have people on opposite, opposite political spectrums who are uh, are infatuated with each other. But but anyway, that's my light moment. Now I want to move on to, go, and if you well, if, I, if I ever ran for president, I'd have, I'd have, to, I'd have to kill Audrey because she, she would never vote for me. Yeah, well, that's that's probably true. Now, yeah. But just go look at the video, look at the dress, and you'll understand why the guy was why the guy went out with her, regardless of what the political convictions were. Now, the next question: What on earth is happening with the Bears? What their their defensive coordinator resigned after the FBI raided his house? What do you do as a defensive coordinator that gets the FBI to raid your house? I thought he was uh, the, the, the FBI or Bears. Fans where did you get? Where did you get? Where'd you get the FBI thing? All I've, I've been listening all morning. And all they talk about is his health and family. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The FBI thing was reported. Uh, it's been reported on a number of channels. Um, and what did the and, guy do? Uh, that's what I'm asking. You're supposed to be tied into there. Oh, okay. you know? remember place when I'm... Sam Heard got? Uh, they were saying like, oh, he's a drug mule or something, and it turns yes, out he right. had like he had like forty thousand dollars of something like with him. And then he was distributing. They made it sound like he was a. Uh, at first, they made it sound like he was like you know selling something to his friend. And then we found out that he was just a wholesaler for like making more money <laughs> distributing drugs than than playing uh, okay. it for the Bears. Okay, so here here's the report. This is Sports Talk Chicago. Uh, John uh, Zagjul. Breaking, according to sources familiar with the situation, both Hallis Hall and Alan Williams' home have been raided in connection with an undisclosed incident. Williams' home was raided Sunday night after the team's week one loss. Hallis Hall raided uh, this morning. That was September 20. So they raided his office at Hallis Hall? I, I I get it. Now, now... That's unreal. According to... According now, there there have been no... You know, context goes up on this Twitter... There's been no reputable uh, confirmation that the home of Williams was raided, and and the cops said, "Well, we 
the cops said we didn't raid a house hall. I don't, I don't know what the, you know, I don't, I don't know what that means. Uh, that, I, I don't trust. Hey, I don't trust anything coming out of the. Well, the, you the, heard the, the Justin Fields. They, 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 they spanked him and sent him back out and, and to retract his statement yesterday morning. Yeah. What? You know, I, I'm, I'm sorry. You know, this is. I, I, I saw that report, Chief, and I, and I read the, I uh, saw the, uh, the statement by this kid. And my I, first. I listened to both of them. Did you listen to both of them? Yeah. Like the first and the yeah, second. I, yeah. First and second. And my, my first thought was this is what happens when you watch certain commentators on ESPN and actually think they know what's going on. Because if you dial in ESPN, you'll see the usual suspects, you know, saying uh, that it's the coaching. This kid could be so much better except for the coaching, blah, 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 blah. I. I. <laughs> I'm just watching. I'm just watching this play out. And Louis, you, know, you don't you don't have to be an expert to be an expert these days. I mean, uh, no, I know. Just, but, let, me, but, let me switch. Just quick topic. The same same subject on sports. This, if I were the coaches, if th- this kid, this kid needs to be someplace else. If I'm the coaches, I say, you know what? We thought you were a pretty good, pretty good football player, or maybe a great quarterback, but you're not. You're just another very athletic guy who can occasionally throw the football, but you're not either not smart enough or not willing to pick up on what we want this offense to do and you can't execute it well, well let us give me give me the seventh round draft pick who can execute the offense versus the first round guy that we mortgage you know our future for we'll get a load of this did you see this can't kevin uh, tweets in uh or he, he, whatever he does texas in the the, the fair is a fired defensive fair quarter without so much as a wish well peanut tillman evidently is now an FBI agent, and the Bureau sent him to inform the Bears' management. What's that all about? <laughs> I There was a comment by Tillman. I don't think he's an FBI agent. Maybe he is. Yeah, he is. He, he is. is. Oh, he is. Okay, well, there was a comment, there was a comment by Tillman. Uh, maybe he was the source. I just saw there was a comment referenced by him in this story. Anyway, uh, you know, it really is interesting with, with the NFL – I wonder if it's related to gambling, which which would be just too good based on the stuff that you and I have talked about. Oh yeah, yeah. The NFL with the league's embrace of gambling here. Uh, I just wonder if I wonder if it was related to gambling and and they just you know they just, they just cleaned him out. I if in fact he was his house was raided and again, we just have this one report, but but the immediate step away for health reasons, and you know to be more spend more time with my family. Dude, you're an NFL coach and an NFL defensive coordinator. Your family's been second for years, number one. No, number number two, you know, your health, if you're capable of issuing a statement about your health, your health isn't bad enough for you to step away from a defensive coordinator job. Well, the, the, the field situation, it's uh it's been real obvious that the team is the team's horrible. Well, the team's horrible. The guy has no line, every 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 snap is a jailbreak. And it's been very clear. I mean, I, I watch him because I talk about him on the show. Otherwise, I, I wouldn't consider it. But uh, it's been obvious for a while that what the team is trying to do, since the guy got the crap beat out of him last year, that with a 17-game season, you can't have your quarterback, even if he wants to, you can't have your quarterback running the ball 25 times a game. It, it, it's, no. not, it's not happening. So, plus, when it really gets down to it in the last minute or two, you can't just run up and down the field. you got to act like a quarterback. And he, you know, and there have been other people that have, 
not had that when they came into the league, but have been able to, to pick up on that piece. A lot of guys were running quarterbacks out of college and ended up becoming really terrific, you know, drop back and everything else quarterbacks. A question of learning, right? Well, <clears throat> there's been a lot of plays this year where the fans and everybody are saying, why don't you, why don't the guy, why does the guy just run? Why does the guy just run? Because they don't really care if they get the crap beat out of them. They're fans, right? So it, it's been real obvious the kid's been had a, had a, had a whatever you want to call it, uh, a governor put on him. Um, so they asked him yesterday, what would you like to do different? And he said, I, he said something to the effect, well, maybe it's the coaching when I just play and let, and let me let my instincts take over, I do better. Oh, oh my God. And they, and they, of course, talked to him afterward, and he came out and said, I'm never going to criticize my teammates or coaches again. Lou, they, yeah. got, they got nobody. The offensive line, there isn't a starter there on any other team in the league. I don't think. Maybe, maybe uh, Whitehead's name, maybe him. But the so, other- so so you, we come back now to my the the Lou Michaels you know iron law of of pro football or football generally everything starts on offense everything starts with your line well, yeah and great athletes you can have great athletes in the backfield or whatever but everything starts with that offensive line those five guys and if you can't if you can't put on a credible group there a a cohesive group it doesn't matter who you've got in the backfield and if you can put on a cohesive group it matters much less who you've got in the backfield well sure but lose somehow or another i've never i've never seen well i don't know i don't know much about football like you do but the i've never seen a team as over a period of like decades totally butcher the draft like these guys do and for a while, they didn't want to sign people. Before, when you had to sign people for too much money, they didn't want a number one pick because they're, they're they're cheap as hell. They yeah. always are. They always have been. I mean, that's that's just the hellest way. Have you heard the sound bite going around saying, uh, with the former player director from uh, when they drafted Trubisky, they were saying, I think it was Waddle and and whoever who's the, whoever's on Chicago yeah, Waddle ESPN. And, yeah, yeah. So yeah. they said, you know what, what were you thinking about? Mahomes versus Watson versus Trubisky, and they said, well, and he said, well, first it was really just Trubisky versus Mahomes. Watson wasn't that great, so we we wanted to choose the less risky between Mahomes and Trubisky, and what we thought we were doing was minimizing risk by drafting, um, minimizing right, risk. minimizing risk, and and, and getting and getting a white guy, and so well, after I mean, that, that's what it sounds like now, yeah, doesn't yeah. it? <laughs> after that, they said, okay. We hear you. And they said, what about the people who said if Mahomes was on the Bears, he wouldn't be Mahomes? <laughs> and, then, and then he says, well, that's absolutely wrong. He's a generational talent and that uh, he'll, he would be the same on any team. So does that confirm that Mahomes is just a product of the system or what? I, I don't – I well, Mahomes, Mahomes has tremendous physical talents, but – one of the things you notice is that Mahomes generally has enough time to actually display those talents before he's getting, you know, getting his head ripped off. I, I and he's not—he's not—he's not, he's not the same. He's not the same with that one. Chicago is where quarterbacks go to die, you know. And and I mean, I as much as people malign Jay Cutler, if you first of all, if you look at if you look, he's he's what he's Chicago's all-time passing leader, number one. But number two. If you look at the punishment that kid took, oh yeah, Harbaugh I mean, the same I mean, way. Harbaugh the same way. 
it was unbelievable watching watching that play watching him play and watching him get up over and over and over again after just being pounded and and i i just you know i, I remember thinking to myself i don't know what this kid's you well, know, when Jim Finks was talents look like, but this is this is embarrassing. When uh, Jim Finks was here, he did what he had three number one picks or offensive tackles, and Dennis Lick got his knee blown out, so he didn't pan out. But that wasn't Jim Finks's fault. Um, so he ended up with Keith Van Horn and Jimbo Covert, and he uh, two pretty good players, two really good players. And he ended up uh, after that time somewhere. And uh, Greg, maybe you remember this: the Bears signed a. Uh, uh, formerly All-Pro guard, uh, big big black guy from uh, somewhere, and he turned out to to play sem- essentially All-Pro caliber for the Bears, and he was dropped off somebody else's scrap heap for salad or salad salad salary re- uh, reasons, like in June. So the Bears picked him up for uh, for you know cents on the buck, and he ended up with four or five really good years. The Bears, you know what I'm talking about, Greg. Um, this is going back. Well, well, well Tom, Jim Finks, Jim Finks, I, I know Jim, knew, knew Jim. God, I, I was really sorry when he passed away. He was going to be the next NFL commissioner um, after Rozell. But but I, Jim Jim drafted, he drafted Ron Yeri for the Vikings Hall of Fame. He drafted yeah. Ed White. For, these are first-round picks who, who should have been, you know, who should have who should be in the Hall of Fame. He drafted Allen. He, he focused on line guys. Oh, yeah. And, and and then and then after he got those guys in, then they went out and got Chuck Foreman, and and traded for Francis. But but uh, yeah, he was not afraid. I, I just I think I think I think Jim knew how to build football teams. He built one in Minneapolis. He built one in Chicago, and then he was building one in New Orleans when he passed away. Well, somehow the whole organization got this idea: don't worry about the offensive line. You know, there, there other people cast people off, and we can we can fill that. So, so this is this is something, and I, I'm gonna I'm just gonna start displaying some of my prejudice, prejudices now. This is an offensive coordinator's way of thinking, which is, you know what, I, I'm an offensive genius, and and if I get the right pass plays and I get the right running plays, uh, but mostly passing plays because that's where I can show my genius, then then this offense is gonna click. And, and basically we can, you know, offensive linemen are basically fungible. We can put five stiffs up there, and my genius will overwhelm, you know, any weakness that we've got we've got out there. Yeah, well, that doesn't work. No, it doesn't. And and that's why I'm I'm a firm believer, you know. we got to go to break, but my... Uh, my biases are evident. My, uh, unfortunately, deceased partner from way back in the day, Tom Tracy, uh, <clears throat> was a DePaul basketball star, nice guy. Um Died young, <clears throat> for a guy in that kind of shape. But anyway, he he, he went to this basketball thing back. And he was he's older than us. Um, I'm going to say he, I don't know when he graduated to Paul, but he ended up going to Vietnam. So he was drafted by the Celtics. So he never ended up playing. But he uh, he goes to one of these basketball camps, right? And they get this guy up there. It was in Arkansas or somewhere. He goes down there. It's before camps for camps. Some guy gets up there, some coaching for like an hour. He's got all these X's on the boat, O's on the board, and he's drawing out all these plays and stuff. And they get <clears throat> this old Arkansas dude walks up after another coach, and he goes, "Boys, let me tell you, what matters is who are the X's and who are the O's." <laughs> well, yes, except except that you know, there, I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna put down good coaching. Well, I'm not either. Good, no, good, good coaching, good coaching is the ability to to 
adapt your offensive scheme to the people you've got, number one. And number two, the ability to get the people. And this is this is you know less true maybe now in the NFL than it was, but but to get the people that you want and or identify the people that you want to put to put into your scheme. I mean and, and, and sometimes it's just a matter of luck. Is there any doubt in your mind that the San Francisco 49ers would have cleaned house if if Brock Purdy hadn't fallen into their lap after that Trey Lance debacle? Debac- yeah, oh yeah. Well, anyway, I, it's, go, but, go to it's, break. but you but you know, I'll take thirty. It's it's all about on the offensive line. You got five guys against four. Now people blitz and stuff, so it could be five against six or seven or eight. But if you got a guy that can pretty much handle his guy. Now it's four on three, and if you got two guys like that, now it's three on two. If if you got nobody that can handle their guy, and you got to help everybody, you got a problem. <laughs> you have to have a, a few people that stand out on both. And defense, if you don't have somebody who draws a double team, that's that good. If you don't have the the Bob Lilly, if you don't have the, the you know the the Dan Hampton, if you don't have somebody like that, the Alan Page. All of a sudden, it gets easy for the other guys, right? You, you have to have somebody. Who's a little above the? I mean, the Packers had Forrest Gregg. I mean, there, there's always somebody that is that is better than somebody. And if you don't have a couple of those guys, you got a problem. Or, or am I wrong? Because the other people get paid too. Yeah, that's right. I uh, think that's right. SP Futures down 34. Nasdaq Futures down 156. Markets aren't looking so good. We'll be right back here, Stocks and Jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox. The Control Freaks Guide to Life, Money, and Probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Don't rely on luck, get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello, Rope. Hello, Stocks and Jacks. I'm Tom Allen. Big uh, Pappas on the board. We've got uh, a lot of news here this morning. Market's getting its butt kicked a little bit. SP's down 33. Nasdaq's down 150. This is after yesterday, after the Fed spoke. We were down 76 in the Dow, 41 in the S&P, which is a lot. 209 in the Nasdaq. So we're pushing... 350 in the Nasdaq here in the last few hours. So if, if we stay in there, Europe, uh, the Bank of England did not raise rates. They claim their inflation cooled off enough where they didn't have to do that. Uh, still, the DAX down 184, 1.2%. FTSE down 14.2%. The only ones that are hanging in there. Kek around down 111, 1.5. So kind of carnage all over the place here. Over in Asia, we got the Nikkei down 452. That's 1.4%. Hang Seng down 230. These guys are down to 17,655. Ouch. After being over 18,000 finally for a while. Shanghai down 23.8%. Bonds, and here's kind of the story. Uh, U.S. 10-year uh, up 9 basis points, 4.44, which I just was looking at the graph. That's uh, the, the last high of this whole thing in the last several years was 4.36, and we just went through that kind of like dinner through a goose. Uh, Bond up 3 basis points, 2.73. Japan up 2.75. That's the highest we've seen in Japan for probably a decade. Uh, oil. 
down 62 cents, 89.400, back under 90. Rent down 71 cents, 92.82. Natural gas down a penny, 271. Arbob down a penny, 260. Uh, we've got gold down 26 bucks, 1940. Uh, we're good and long gold, so that's not good for us. Uh, silver down 38 cents, 23.45. So all of these things all rallied yesterday, not today. Copper down 9 cents, 368. Crypto, we've got Bitcoin down 217, under 27,000, 26,719. U.S. dollar up a little bit against the euro. There's a 106, uh, but up up quite a bit, 0.6% against the pound. Pound's down to 122.6. So these are big moves. That was Those guys were 128 three weeks ago, and the euro was all pushing 109. So 2-3% moves in a currency is a big deal. Greg, what do you have for us, Trevi, Weather Sports? Good morning, everyone. About 6.38, Chicago 68 degrees, uh, 72 today. Slight rain coming up in the morning. Should clear up by about 8.30. Phoenix, 73 right now, 98 today, sunny and clear. Traffic, we got Kennedy, uh, Montrose Interchange, 21. Eden's 40 minutes in from Lake Cook. Eisenhower is 31 minutes in from Wolf. The Ryan, locals, 95th to the interchange is 20 minutes. Stevenson, 294 to the Ryan is 32 minutes, and the Bishop Ford is 19 minutes, I-80 to the interchange. MLB, White Sox lose to Washington 13-3, uh, to three. ouch. Yeah, they are, do you think they're just counting the days? Probably, yeah. And now uh, it looks like the Cubs. I watched that, what a carnage. Yeah, that was 13-7, uh, to seven. and Diamondbacks win 7-1, to one. they won at home. Um, That's not good for and, the Cubs. Well, <laughs> right. And the last bit you guys mentioned was the Bears coordinator has uh, problems. <laughs> so he was, uh, he, he claims not to have health problems and not to have, uh, but we'll see. Well, we'll if, you, see. if you resign because of your health and you don't have any health problems, then what does that tell you? I, I don't know. Or the lawyer said one thing and the papers are saying the other. So oh, good. I'm not sure what to, what to think. All right, Chief. Um, just as a, a quick review, we mentioned earlier, Lou, just I'll, I'll, sh- I'll shoot in a piece of news here on the, on the markets. Uh, as we talked earlier about the Turkish bank has raised their rates to 30%, their interest rates, right? I'm looking here at the, and again, everybody, you know, I, I, I can't. I, know I found I, your song. God. <laughs> <laughs> It's Istanbul, not Constantinople. Istanbul, not Constantinople. Why did Constantinople get the works? It's nobody's business but the Turks. Oh, God. I, the only thing I remember about that is, what's his name? Uh, is uh, uh, Sean Connery when he was 007 with, uh, what's his name? With, with Money Penny, the, the, a romantic the Bosphorus was at night. I can see Lou like in this song. I'm sorry, I love that song, and uh, it uh, and and you know now now Greg Greg's going okay, so at least one of us guess knows music knows music after 1995. <laughs> what music after 1995? <laughs> the uh, anyway, I'm looking here, and this ties into I'm trying to tie this into pretty much all of our news right now, meaning the auto auto strike and all kinds of stuff is uh, the Turkish. Turkey just raised their money supply, or I'm sorry, they raised their interest rates at yeah. 30%. Their money supply since 2000, all right, where I can't even, my vision's still pretty good, but there are so many zeros here, I can't even I can't even go there. But for wherever it was, they were 
like 25 of something, 25 and like 10 zeros is their money supply, up to they're now 120. So let's say they've they've their mo- their money supply is up between four and five times since uh, 2000, right? So that's three years ago. Uh, and look, and their in- and their inflation rate is 55 percent. Duh, it's like exactly the number, right? So if it's 50% a year, that's up 150%, and the money supply is up that much. But the money supply is up even more. So our stuff here, and, and the whole, and I, I'm really stunned, the amount of of people, regular people, that are abusing these auto workers. And I, and I can't, and, it's, and I'm not Mr. Union, because I was in the union back when unions, I think, had a little too much power. So what I'm trying to do is, is, is trying to explain to people what, according to my history, where there have been times when, when different parts of a company, first it was the owners, then maybe it was the unions, now maybe it's the management, that seem to have a much bigger piece of the pie than maybe they ought to. And if you, if you look at what your government is telling you, they're saying that in the last three years, since, since January of 2020, the inflation in this country has been 15, 19%. Everybody knows that's BS. Everybody knows it. Okay, so... The money supply was up 40, now they've backed it off to where it's like up 38. So I'm saying somewhere between 35 and 40% is the real inflation number. It's, it's absolutely like clockwork. One, one matches the other after a while. Uh, so when, when, they, when the auto workers talk about a 40% raise, most people... The auto, the auto workers' raise is... The auto workers' fight is as much over the future of their industry as it is over immediate economic... Okay, but what I'm, what I'm saying was since 2008, when they when they gave the uh, they cut back on their wages and stuff, adjusted for inflation, they're down 20 percent. Okay, so I'm, I'm saying what, my point is that I can't, I cannot nobody nobody believes me on this. Said so right now, if you if you have a four year deal and you have not gotten a raise in a couple of years and you're talking about a four year agreement and you are going to go up 40 percent in those four years, you're not even keeping pace. And everybody else looks at it and goes, man, how, how do those guys deserve 40%? I'm not getting 40%. I get that part. But the, the point is, why do you think they and the UPS people and everybody else is zeroing in on 40% over four years? Because that's been the number the last three years. Yeah. They're just yeah, catching I, up. I mean, I, I, think, I think they're, I think, well, obviously they're negotiating from that position, so there's some flexibility. But I think, I, I, I think you're seeing a recognition on the ground which is where these union guys are, a recognition on the ground that the numbers that we're getting, you know, spit out of D.C. are are false, and and illogical and don't make sense, because the guys on the ground are the guys going into the grocery stores every week, or their or their spouses are going into the grocery stores every week and looking at that gallon of milk that that has jumped, or or going to the gas station and watching, you know, four bucks a gallon. Are you are you kidding me? That's what it is here in Denver. A guy can't yeah. imagine what it is in, in Chicago. Well, actually, in the four, burbs, it's a little less than that. In the city, it's like five. Four, four bucks, four bucks a gallon. And who do they look at? I mean, they look around and they say, "We have a president who promised he was going to shut down fuel." And and you know, hey, that's great. Except there's no alternatives for us. Well, we, I, we I still know, have to buy gas. Let me let me ask you this because you're, you know, or shut down oil. Uh, Ms. You're, 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 attorney, you're, you're an educated man. Let me, let me ask you this: what? Out of all the stuff that people, well, I went to Duke. Okay, let's here you go. Let's let's. let's now, now you guys have a football team. So I taught Kevin's class last night, and he started out by saying, 
All right, so, you know, welcome to teach the class. I've already told them about Duke, so you're already starting in, you know, negative territory. <laughs> but why... I get it, because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm the same kind of schlump as everybody else is. Every Sunday morning I go get gas, first thing I do is look at the price. Okay? And, and obviously it's right in front of your face. If you... If, if, Especially if you have kids and you're you're loading up three gallons of milk and it was you know two bucks last week and it's two fifty this week, it's right in front of your face. Yet, in, in real numbers, the gasoline is for most people, it's not that big of a deal. Okay, man, you nobody wants to pay more. I get it, but if you look at the cost of the car, well, well, the demand the demand yeah. is inelastic. Right, you have well to in have the it. short term, short term, inelastic. Right, yes, yeah, so I'm with you on that. But I'm saying in terms of, I'm, I'm the only schmuck on earth who looked at his electric bill or his gas bill three months ago and saw a 6% increase in the service in one month in just the service to your house. How does Nobody pays attention to anything else. I mean, it's, it's, it's just gas and food. And I'm going to say what, what is the average person uh, if you do what if you do twelve thousand miles? Chief, look at go. Maybe you don't go out to eat, eat as much as. Oh, I do. As, take, too much. Take a look. Take it's a look. Oh, at, it's absurd. At the ad, the surcharge is being added onto your restaurant bill. Yeah. For, for what? Take a look. Take a look at your insurance premiums. I'm I'm talking to a bunch of my my friends right now who who you know USAA. We're all insured because we're all ex-military. We're all insured with USAA, and all of a sudden people are looking at a thirty and forty percent price jump in their insurance that's, rates. That's my point. For, why, why, for what? But but it's. It's everything. It's not just and, exactly. And what I'm saying is, in terms of all you hear about is is gas. You know, Biden was going to. I'm saying, I mean, if you do the math, hundred, you know, a thousand miles or twelve thousand miles a year is a thousand miles a month. That's fifty gallons of gas. It's it's more, way more than that in my suburban. It's fifty gallons of gas. If it was up a buck, it's fifty bucks. It's nobody wants to pay it. It comes out of something else, but it's it's not the same as as the house going from. Three fifty to five hundred, and your interest rates going from three and a half to seven. I mean, we're not even on the same planet in terms, or your insurance, right? Uh, agreed. But but gas is the easy marker. It's the yes. universal. It's the universal marker. You you can have regional significant regional variations in in groceries. You have regional variations in gas prices too. But everybody puts gas in their car, and and frankly, it's something that you know the guys. You know, it affects men and women equally. Guys, guys notice it. Women notice it. You know, across the, the demographic, yep. across demographic lines, everybody sees that because, as a, as we said, demand is inelastic. Everybody needs it, so we all we all look at it. We all look at the price. Everybody says, you know, two years ago when when uh, Brandon came in, uh, you know, it was it was X, and Brandon has promised he's going to shut down the oil companies, and this is the impact we're seeing. Well, it, it, it sort of isn't really, but that, that's another. But, but I mean, Chief, I'm saying what the average. What the I, average I, I understand show, it, but it's, it's all about. Says. I, Lou, I've watched the movie ten times. One of my favorite movies, A Man Who Shot Liberty Vance. We just we just canceled we just canceled a bunch of drilling rights in uh, in Alaska. I and, I get it. I'm saying what, what the 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 weird part about the oil industry. And I'm not going to go through the whole story, but that industry, if you look at the amount of rigs, and I have them here somewhere buried. If you look at the amount of rigs, and you look at the ups and downs of oil prices over the last, you and I have already talked about yeah. this, and I don't, I don't want to reopen that right. can of worms. But it, it's, it's, it's a the, it has to do with the refining and production right. capacity the, the, rather than the drilling. Even though Biden is anti-oil, 
the simple fact is there's more rigs, way more rigs now than that, when Trump that, was in office. That's, that's irrelevant, and, and you and I have talked about this before. Well, it's not, so, ir- it's not irrelevant. It's, he's, he's making it worse. There's no doubt about that. It, he's, he's, making, he's making it a lot worse yeah. because our refining capacity has been shut down. And that that's, it doesn't matter how much stuff you pump out of the ground. You can't take if, that stuff and put it in your car. I, I, but I'm saying if, if Solomon was president, you couldn't get another refinery going someplace. The only place you put you can do refinery repair is where there was one, right? The he, BP has, he has, yeah, those refineries have been converted. Yes. Uh, it, it, anyway, let... They're screwing it up. I'm, I'm right, with you. Price, so. We we have a national debt that just went past thirty three trillion dollars. Yes, we are we are looking at the crunch of Medicare and Social Security, which which are rapidly approaching insolvency, probably within the next ten years. Uh, I'm going to say that the Social Security piece is a relatively easy fix. The medical piece is going to be the biggest struggle this country this country's ever had, including a war. Uh, agreed. We have we uh, have it, to cut the we we. And I don't know how that group gets gets around. We talk about a lot of what Carl on, on Friday, and hopefully tomorrow we will. But Lou, we're talking about three nights stay at Northwestern is equal to uh, without this is without surgery or anything. Three nights stay is equal to like a, a three and a half nights stay is equal to a year's a year's salary. Yeah, that's it. We're that that whole that whole thing has to be brought down to its knees. And I don't know how you do it. You know, I mean, you, well, it, it it's. The so, idea so that the, these drugs cost this much, the idea these rooms cost, the idea that a hospital, 90 bazillion dollars, you look in there and, and 20% of the space is devoted to patients, the rest is management. It, it's, the overhead uh, rate, what do you think the overhead rate is in the average hospital? I, I think it, I don't know, but I'm just telling you that we have, you know, if you look at the, at the, the health insurance structure and health care structure in this country, it, it is a massive paperwork processing operation and um and it's it's pretty it, i mean it's a huge employer and and so when somebody comes in and says we have to streamline this we have to cut this back we have to introduce more effective controls there's no political will to do that no no congressman no senator and no president is is going to stand up and say i want to rework this whole industry we're going to get our arms around it we're gonna we're gonna introduce you know more competitive pricing, etc. We're et reaching a point, Lou, where somebody's not gonna want to. They're gonna have to. Well, but but until that point hits, nobody's gonna want to know that there's no political will to do it because because the impact, the the short term impact is painful. Right and now, if there's one thing. No, if there's I one hope thing you don't that our government system has not has proved itself unable to do it is unable to look at anything beyond the next election they can't they can't deal with any industry that lines their pockets and no nobody's lined their pockets ever even the defense industry like the like this health care group is uh, agreed agreed but i mean you know when, when hillary and as you know i'm no fan of hillary's when hillary actually had i'll say the balls to to try and change the the health group back in whenever clinton was first in office she was derided from everybody, and her plan really wasn't that horrible. Yet, well, the biggest problem with the biggest problem with her operation was that it was going to be done by diktat rather than than by uh, you know by running something through Congress. Okay, w- whatever it was, and Obamacare and Obamacare was was you know another another disaster. Chief, the more I, I, the government inserts its fingers into the system, the worse okay, it gets. I I have a reasonable feel since I knew some people in the industry of how the money worked 
before Hillary even tried. It, it was a system that was totally falling apart, Lou. It's totally falling apart. And it, the average hospital, I don't know what guy was the purchasing managers, but like the biggest uh, hospital in Illinois outside of uh, Chicago. And we One night after a few adult beverages, we talked about it for like four hours. It's, he, he's, you wouldn't believe this. This is, we're talking 1992, somewhere back there. He goes, the, the, and, uh, somebody come in, if you had a, if you had the cat, what they call now the Cadillac policy, those are the people they hit up with, you know, the two hundred dollar box of diapers, and they left with the kid and so forth. They paid those those insurance companies paid a list, you, whatever the bill was, they paid. Then there were a whole bunch of guys that negotiated stuff. So you got those guys are like the top twenty percent. Then you had, they were essentially insuring the rest of the people in the hospital. Then you had the people who their insurance companies had negotiated a deal, and an appendectomy was five grand or four grand or something. Where the, where the other guys are paying 10. Then you had people who came in and were paid on their own, and who knows what they were charging them. Then you had Medicare paying the next level, and you had Medicaid, where they were getting $100 a day, no matter if you did brain surgery on the guy. So the whole thing was a, was a disaster going back 30-some years. So Hillary tried to fix it. Whether she did a good job or bad job, it never went anywhere because people didn't like her. Bush managed to totally ignore it for eight years, didn't do anything. So well, the thing- Bush, Bush had a... Bush, Bush had a war in his hands. Well, whatever it was, he was happy to ignore it. Okay, he did. So then all of a sudden, Obama comes in, starts out with a reasonable premise, and somewhere along the line between the lobbyists and everything else and his, and his, and his wife's uh, group that was doing the, the uh, software, the thing becomes an abomination. But the whole, the whole idea was that if everybody had insurance, that the top people that had insurance wouldn't be subsidizing everybody else. And, and, and the theory of it made some sense. Okay, because the bottom fact is the bottom people were getting subsidized by the top people, because it, it, it was all messed it, up, it, and it, now it's it messed up again. But but it's messed up for a different way. It, it, the, it is the point. The thing I, of it is they never address the cost, though, because if you if you don't address the cost, it doesn't matter who pays. In the end of the day, we can't afford it. Yeah, no, I I think that's I I think that's precisely correct, and and the health insurance system that we've set up to uh, to manage it is is. Incompetent and and you know ungainly, and uh, we're we're gonna. What do you make of just and quick? We never talked about this. What do you make about the fact that the entire industry doesn't pay attention to any law there is, and and, and there's, there's the Justice Department just ignores them. I mean, every well, every pay every, attention to laws that there are because the, they get the, sued regularly. They they. I'm not talking about that. Okay, you, you attorney guys. You're always talking about this. But I mean, I mean, you say something like that. I mean, words. Okay. I'm, I, I, to, to quote Chris Tucker, I'm listening to the words that are coming out right. of your mouth. All right, so I'll, I'll give you <laughs> two examples. How, how many, how many generic drug companies in the last ten years have been bought by the companies who originally had the, the drug, and the generic stuff has gone up two and three times? That's a combination resulting in restricted trade. Name me one of these people that has, has ever been accosted on antitrust. Name me one. Uh, I, there may be a couple out there, but but off the top of my head, recently I I, uh, I can't. Okay, and and they've they've lost twice now at the Supreme Court, according to Carl, on this idea that that they can have two tiered pricing at hospitals, where if you walk in for an appendectomy, it's going to be a hundred grand, but if an insurance company negotiated the deal, it's forty grand. They've lost twice on that. And, and they just ignore the ruling. They they do it every day, every day. I mean, I mean, all I can all I can tell you is this is just another example of we don't have the political will in our in our elites. We don't have the political will to deal with that issue. 
Well, because there's two issues. They, they, plus, you, you don't give somebody this whole idea. Of, I'm going to have a. Well, I mean, I mean, yeah. your one of your fixes, and I, this is a this is a fix you're proposing. One of your fixes is to have the Justice Department come in and basically shut down uh, a number of these medical care facilities because of their pricing structure. And, 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 and put okay. people in jail and find 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 oh, a bleep oh, out oh, of them. Okay, there's not the political will to do that. <laughs> well, there, when when, when it's people. when it's when it's sixty percent of our GDP, and people still have to wait six months to see a doctor, someplace somewhere somebody's going to have to do it, or we're going to elect a guy with a little mustache. Uh, uh, let me let me give you let me give you a scenario. We got two minutes. Let me give you a scenario where that that might happen. Um, where where it will be get it'll get to that point, and that is if we find ourselves in a major shooting war with with China or with another peer, where where suddenly we start losing equipment very quickly. We lose, let's say, we lose two carrier battle groups. You know, we have two aircraft carriers sunk. We have we have the the material and the manpower associated with those things sunk. And now we have to start buying new stuff, or we have to ramp up our production in a hurry. How, um, how the hell do you do a, uh, an aircraft carrier in a hurry? And, and it's a matter—it's a matter of national survival, because we lose Guam. Uh, one of the scenarios that I saw it has us losing Hawaii or parts of Alaska, and you—you know—all of a sudden we're going okay. You know, priority shift. Now, now we can't pump this much money into Medicare or Medicaid. Now we, or, or into Social Security. Now we have to pay upfront right now for weapons, for for people. We have to bring in to, to draft all of that. And and this economy, you know, COVID was was a big a big test of our our economic resiliency, and we tried to solve it a, a relatively minor problem by throwing money at it. And, and of course, we literally printed literally printed money. Well, right. Yeah, we we threw money at it. Uh, that was our that was our first test. We're not going to be able to do that again. Not not anytime soon. And so you're going to have to start with budget cuts somewhere. And this this goes back to something that you and I talked about a long time ago, ten years ago, when you asked me what my thought my investment advice was, and I said buy defense stocks. Yeah, boy, if if your people follow that. Yeah, but you know what they they they've gotten their ass kicked this year. Why? It was uh, was, the, was the biggest. Because some of the guys at NFO I do some business with, uh, last year they moved all, a lot of their money into defense stocks and totally missed the carnage. Well, not totally, but pretty much missed the carnage that hit the, the high-tech stocks. But this year they stayed in the defense stocks. The other stuff has gone flying back up, and defense stocks have gone straight down. Well, I, I'm not seeing I'm not seeing that with reports of, of what we're doing, for example, on ammunition. Do you know we, we are almost quadrupling our our... Uh, ammunition production for uh, for cannabis. I I, I I love the industry, but I'm saying don't don't ever think that stock prices move like you think they're supposed to. Oh no no I know, but yeah. I mean then this is this is my long term view. Uh, we we are we are ramping up, and we are going to have to continue to ramp up our defense capabilities. <clears throat> Ukraine Ukraine has has really been an eye opener for a lot of our people who thought we could fight a war on the cheap with with technology. And you know the Russians have pretty much demonstrated to us that you know what, if I can shoot if I can shoot a million artillery shells a month at you, and you can only shoot twenty eight or 28,000 a month, I'm gonna I'm gonna beat you. It doesn't matter how much technology you got. What's uh, why don't you make our, our friend uh, the dash here in a minute, a little bit. Our, our buddy uh, Mike Murphy. He's, I don't know if he's listening because he's in he's in Chicago. They probably 
we're out boozing last night, but uh, he he says that what's his name, uh, the guy the guy who got us in Iraq, uh, who was Bush's Secretary of Defense, Rumsfeld. Cheney, Rumsfeld. That he said he he got the he pushed the whole group into this. Uh, what do they call the inventory? Inventory, uh, inventory on demand. Just in time inventory. Just in time inventory. And he, because it's it's really been, in his opinion, kind of a disaster. I mean, is is that are we changing that, or what are we doing? I don't I don't know. I mean, our our war fighting has always been predicated on use of as much technology as we can to try to save the lives of our people, and and we want to minimize our casualties and, and inflict as many casualties on the other that side. That goes back to can. George Marshall. I want my guys that, as that, equipped as they possibly that's can. Exactly, that's exactly right. Um, I don't know. I'm looking I, I, since 1962. We don't, have, we don't have huge stockpiles. And if you compare, I think, the S&P to uh, Raytheon. Does Raytheon go back that far? Probably. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So Raytheon is, is outpaced the S&P almost by three. Really? It looks like yeah. it. And just it, just in the past, well, it looks maybe 1975 is when it really... <laughs> before... Uh, what, 62 to 70, it did really well, and then also now from 1975 all the way till now, it's absolutely beating the pants off of... You, if, you look at, if you look at those contractors since about, 20, about 2012, we started to come to the realization that we were wearing out our equipment in the, in the global war on terror, and we needed a new tank, we needed new APCs, we needed new aircraft, we needed new bombs and smart weapons... I mean, again, what's happened? What's happened in Ukraine has been a real eye opener for our defense production. We let our defense production lag, and our defense production capability lag, and we are in the process now of trying to build that back up. Well, Lou, in, uh, at the end of 2021, I have because uh, my guys are doing this. Uh, I have a Lockheed roughly at uh, 3:30. It shot to. Uh, almost 500 by the end of last year so it was an inc- incredible investment this year it's down from 500 to 425 so yes it's still been a good investment but in the last couple of years it doesn't bear I mean you and I I think it's a great buy to be honest with you but it's, but I mean it hasn't it you, you'd rather have been in uh, you know Microsoft this year I mean, whatever hey we got a dash bud you take care of yourself uh, your dookies uh, all of a sudden they got a real football team uh, maybe we'll see. Well, I had I had him as one of the the chumps on the on the Irish schedule, and I don't think I put him in the chump category. No, anymore. I wouldn't put him in the chump category right now. They've no. got a they've got a legitimate quarterback. Um, well, the Irish have a pro quarterback, literally. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, the only team the only team that doesn't have pro players right now are the service academies. So oh, I know. I'm, it's, it's unreal. I'm rooting for them all the way. Uh, Greg, you want to go break or you want to go right to Dan? Give me a second. Let's see where Dan is. Just play Constantinople again. I'll see you guys later. Oh, okay. right. <laughs> That's not a bad idea. All right, we got Dan. All right, Dan, we'll just go right to you, bud, because we ran over a little bit, Lou, talking about uh, Lockheed. What do, you, what do you think of the defense stacks? Well, you know, it's really interesting. Um, Raytheon is um, based in the Boston area where I grew up and, and have known them, you know, uh, throughout my uh, career. Um, basically, since I've, I've been a kid, I've, we've known, we've always known somebody who worked at Raytheon. They are known as being a great company to work for. I don't know if you remember the Patriot missile from you know early '90s. Um, they're still using them. They're still using them, but that, but that's when they sort of that's when they started becoming um, you know they started uh, ramping up production. The, the, that industry 
um, they're on fire in that particular, you know, certain companies in that industry are doing quite well. I may have mentioned this earlier. Uh, I know I've mentioned this before that they're still having trouble getting engineers, quality engineers, experienced engineers. So they're having to pay up for, for engineers. So in their world, they are doing extremely well. And that's why I think earlier um, you were saying that, or someone who was saying that there was, uh, you know, that Raytheon has actually uh, tripled the return of the S&P this year. So they're, they're, um, that's not at all a surprise to me. Again, known as a good company to work for, great benefits, treat their employees well. But on top of that, they still have a fair amount of demand. And as you know, they, you know, there's government contracts, and those contracts roll over. Some of them roll over. Some of them, um, you know, there's continued. Some of them been around for a while, but they still have years to go. So this is a company that I think still has upside potential. Well, it's a, it's a good thing we, we led right into you because I actually, a couple of weeks ago, somehow my you know my mind is going wobbly these days, but uh, I was I was pinning. Uh, I was pin, uh, pinning Lou down to, uh, you know, who actually you can invest in in the business, and he said a lot of these places that do like, uh, you know, bullets and boots. As a matter of fact, somebody just got some huge boot contract. The people that do that stuff are actually not even New York Stock Exchange stocks. They're a lot of them are almost they're like family-owned businesses that have they've done one yes. kind of bullet for for like a hundred years or something. It's the same bullet for the same gun, and it. I- you know, yeah, no, I was going to say, actually, what's, what, uh, you know, and, and, and um, maybe I'll try to um, meet up with Lou when I'm out in Colorado, but because we have clients out there, I'll be out there next month. But, but the, um, the, I went to a gun show in Denver, and we had investments in a company um, that was based in Scottsdale that was a bullet company. And you're absolutely right. It was all, when I was at the gun show looking through the ammo section, it was all um, mom and pops. And that's what the the company that was based in Scottsdale, um, who they competed against. Now that company in particular had a large percentage of their client base as you know police, um, you know municipalities, you know police uh, stations, police departments, in, in various counties and cities throughout the country. They also did a fair amount for the military. They also did a fair amount for hunting. Um, but you're 100% right on that. It's it's um, it's a very fragmented business. Lots of mom and pops. A lot of people who go to these gun shows still prefer the um, mom and pops. They still have their um, you know favorite um, you know bullets or favorite company that they've been dealing with for years. So it is that kind of business. What we learned in the for the short time that we were involved, we made a little money on that stock. What we learned, though, is that the um, the way this business is run, the customer base, if you will, is not necessarily going for the bigger and better companies. They're going for, you know, it, it's sort of a more of a local. Let's let's use the local um, manufacturer, or hey, we have a favorite mom and pop here. And when they go to the gun shows, as I found out when I was in Denver a few years back, they're they're um, you have everybody from everywhere else. So maybe this company had, actually this company wasn't even even there, but it wasn't like the big names that you know in the uh, ammo section, it was all mom and pops. You could walk what seemed like for miles and see mom and pop companies all over the place. So that's that's the way that particular industry, if you wanna call it the ammo sector, uh, or you wanna call it the ammo industry, if you will, that's that's how they're laid out. Well, you also was mentioning, where I'm, where I'm getting to here, I hope it's obvious where I'm trying to get with this is, I mean, we, we talk about the 
you know, the Lockheeds and those guys, we obviously know we can invest in those. And then there's the people down on the end that are making the same kind of bullet for, you know, some gun they still use for 100 years, and you'll never be able to get in those. Uh, Lou says there's a lot of people in the Denver area, that's probably one of the reasons why he's there, they're doing a lot of the uh, the software stuff for the new weapons. Yes. And they're yes. Of, I get, my question is, is there some place in the middle, the area that you deal with, that is maybe now investable at a, at a mid, mid-range, like some of the guys you come across, they either have some good bonds or some preferreds or some. Is there somebody in the middle that is investable? I guess I don't know any, anybody. I mean, I, that's not my, my shtick. That's why I'm asking you. Yeah, I would say that they're not as good. Like, you know, over the years, the, even the gun companies – have not been the best investments. So it's been really interesting with the whole, um, you know, with a lot of the divisiveness in the country over over um, guns and, and it, it, they're not necessarily the best investments. And part of the reason is because the, the nature of the, of the fragmented industry that they're in. So even the largest market share is still very small and capturing that additional market share is very difficult for those companies. So I would say in general, not the sector you want to be in in that middle or smaller side, but I still would say thumbs up to to the to the Raytheons and Lockheeds. But there's there's not a there's not like five names you can off the top of your head you can say these not, are guys in the in the no, middle. No, not at all. I just think I think Lockheed and, and Raytheon on the you know the larger companies, in other words, are the ones that have the um, you know and, and they're in a, you know, obviously doing government contract work. They would, they would be the companies that I would favor. Um, I don't think, I can't name five smaller companies. And part of the reason for that is that there's other, you know, we, we, we look at where the best investments are. That would not be where I would want to be right now. So I think you can find better investments. And I'm going to give a few ideas, by the way, at the end of our talk. I'm in the middle of a conference, so I can give a couple ideas in a couple of different industries. But it's not an industry that I'd be focused on other than the big names. Okay, so... But, or else, we, if there is, we wouldn't know who they were. If there's some software They're company. not right, exactly. There's no there's no other name that kind of stands out in, in that sector um, that would sort of be a, more of a middle-sized company or a middle-of-the-road company. Uh, certainly not on the smaller side either. I would not go there on the smaller side unless you happen to live in that town where they manufacture it and know the people. But I actually went out to visit. Um, it's out in the desert, basically, in Arizona. I went out to visit one of the companies that was manufacturing um, the bullets and actually got to test one of the they have they call it a trace that's like a color that you see after the bullet is shot and it was very interesting the operations people there were fantastic so everything about that company um, was great except they just could not compete they could not they didn't they couldn't compete on price they couldn't compete on um, you know the, the their what do you when you call it, the penetration into the markets that that would be um, their top markets. It they just it's just a very difficult industry to gain that kind of market share that would make you a interesting player or, or a good investment for 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 investors like us. Well, he was uh, mentioning uh, actually it was uh, I don't know my uh, running together. It was either him or Mike. I was talking about some of the stuff that's going on in, in Ukraine where the Russians, and maybe to a certain extent the Ukrainians, because the Russians have some of it too, they can't set up a, a uh, headquarters for more than like five hours in one spot or, or some drone's going to spot them. Absolutely. And, and, uh, and, and, and then, it's, then it comes down to all the software to, to jam the drone signals from the other side. All, uh, he, I think he was saying, or one of them was saying, those are done by the, a lot of these small software companies, some in Denver, and, uh, and it, they're 
you know, they're getting these contracts, but I don't know. I don't know how you can tell any one from the other, or whether or not they're they're even investable. I'm thinking maybe they aren't. So I would I would say that the software companies would be a good way to play this, and and, and the reason being is that they have become more. Um, there's more and more of them, if you will, um, coming into the market in certain industries that say have traditionally been manufacturing industries, um, where there is this now there's this need for software, and I don't mean just automation of the factories, but but you know software that will help their you know their whole um, uh, what do you call it operational um, uh, plans. They there's there's you know different areas that they they. Software has helped supply chain issues. The software um, makes the process more efficient. Productivity improves. There's a lot of good reasons to be in the software companies. There's one that I would mention that's not necessarily related to to um, to the, the defense sector, but there's there's one or two that I think could be interesting plays. I need to do a little more homework. One company I met when I was in Chicago at the conference does software for non-for-profits and they're actually going to be um they actually have a conference in denver speaking of denver next month but the, but the this part of the you know the software um, development part of many industries including defense is really not a bad place to be right now because we're still looking for productivity improvements and technological advancement and this is a big area to be in across the board you just I'll come up with a few names. Um, All right, cause it's one thing to, to call. It's one thing to to build a drone. It's quite another to make the thing undetectable and to jam people's stuff so the thing doesn't get blasted. Absolutely, yeah. And no, absolutely. There's there's um, and the 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 good thing about what's going on here, you know, um, with technology, especially here in the United States, is just the 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 fat, The improvements come at a very rapid pace. So and that's kind of, that's been pretty much across the board in, in various industries. So that's there's demand, there's talent out there that has experience. Some of the CEOs I've been talking about in this with in this conference say that even though some of the tech companies are laying people off, you've got a lot of talent out there now um, where it was harder to find that talent um, where their skill set is transferable to you know to the software industry in general. I think it's it's happening here. Uh, I've had a uh... Yes. Anecdotal stuff with, uh, I mean, we have a, an interesting blend of people on the show, and you learn from one one period of time. It's you learn a lot from one person because it's kind of their spot now. And uh, Audrey and Nancy have been really uh, key lately because they're in, in the real estate mortgage market, and there's there's a few leaks in the dike and this mortgage stuff for people not being able to move. There's there's been some layoffs, especially in the software areas. Uh, yes, and, and, yeah. it, and it's getting it's getting a little worse and. Uh, well, you know, and I, I think the, the house of cards that is the housing industry right now, in my opinion, and I hope it stays. The cards stay up, but they're not going to stay up if we get, you know, some all of a sudden we get a million people uh, laid off. Uh, because I think, as as Nancy, what she say two three weeks ago, uh, Greg, that uh, she doesn't think that she doesn't even think thirty five percent of the mortgages she's given in the last ten years. That one person can handle a mortgage if they aren't, aren't both working, and that's pretty scary. It is pretty scary. Um, I'll have maybe I'll have more to talk about on on that issue um, next week because this afternoon I'm meeting with um, a company that does um, you know it's the federal company that that we all know of, Farmers Mac. I don't know if you you know a farmer Farmer Mac. Um, their ticker symbol is AGM, 
um, and they provide uh, loans in the secondary market, predominantly to farms. Okay. Which, which out where you guys are would probably be more, you, you probably know more about this than I do, but they do agricultural finance. They do rural infrastructure management, you know, with renewable energy and rural energy. And what will be interesting when, when I talk to them this afternoon is to find out exactly what you're asking, uh, Tom, to see where the, you know, you know, they say right now the default rates are really low in that area, but where are the challenges right now as rates continue to rise? Well, I mean, we're having a we have pretty good corn prices. Well, Greg knows more about this than me. Pretty good soybean prices, and we've got a pretty good crop here in Illinois this year. So, uh, Greg has showed us some stuff where last year the I don't know the mean or the whatever the average farmer, however they define that, made like two hundred some thousand. This year we're thinking maybe sixty or seventy, but it's still not negative. I mean, it's still you know it's not what it was last year, but it's it's okay because the input prices were higher, and the 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 selling price wasn't quite as high, but it's still not. Right. Dan, I, I got to ask you, what do you think of the sell-off in the last five hours here? I mean, what's what's going on? Well, I was going to mention that, um, and I'm also going to mention that um, vis-a-vis the you know the Fed decision, and and maybe uh, make a few points about that, yeah, and then, then kind of get to where, what I think is going on. And you know, as we know, the the Fed paused um, at this meeting. I, I listened to Powell's presentation pretty carefully. Um, he did mention things like there's a better supply um, uh, and demand balance on the um, labor side, and that's been one of the issues. Although I hear something a little bit different still from some of the CEOs, I do think we're going to see another rate, rate, rate hike coming, and I think that is um, maybe part of the concern for the sell-off in the market. Um, the other concerns about the sell-off in the market, um, you know, if you're talking about this morning, the, the futures being down, would be the um, you know there's going to be a government shutdown. I mean, the latest we've heard does not look particularly. Um, promising to get a resolution before then, despite the efforts of Kevin McCarthy. So I think that is going to be an issue. I think you know, as as um, you were talking with Lou earlier, the Ukraine situation is is still out there, and it's you know that some of the companies. One of the questions I ask when I do these one-on-one meetings with companies is, "What is your biggest concern going forward?" And um, one guy, one of the CEOs, said something that I totally agree with: short-term, the economy. So if you have a, if you have CEOs from a number of companies saying that they're concerned about the economy short term, long term, their issues are geopolitical. So that would be China. That would be some of the concerns that we have. We don't have control over that as investors. That that's kind of a, you know, that's a loose cannon as far as I'm concerned, and it's it's something that we stay away from. But I think a, a combination of those things is why we're seeing the sell-off. I do not think we're going to see this major rally um, anytime soon. Well, I think the government uh, issues have to get resolved. I, uh, I sure hope that we don't have any more issues with China, and I hope this Ukraine thing somehow resolves itself in the next year or so. You know, and it might, because it looks like Russia's getting a little tired, but uh, that's my hope, I guess. My lips to God's ear, but yeah, exactly. Uh, but I, I, I'm, I'm on, I'm on your side there, Chief. But I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I've been, I don't know, for some reason, I don't know why I do this, Dan. I was looking at these numbers. I don't know who sigged me on them the other day, but somebody did. I was looking at some of our our, our debt numbers, uh, and you know, and, and actually, because I gave a report the other day regarding you know who's right and who's wrong on this budget, you know, lifting the the uh, debt ceiling issue. And you know, not to go over it again, but basically, the Republicans do some crap, you know, taxation-wise or whatever, and they and they fill us with this bill of goods 
that it's not going to cost anything. Well, by the way, it does. And then the Democrats come up with some huge spending bill, and they say, oh, by the way, two years from now, you know, everybody's going to have 5G, so they're going to make so much more money that actually we're going to, our tax increases, our receipts are going to go up. Well, that's a bunch of BS, too. So at the end of the day, each side looks at this $33 trillion number and said, we were told, or more, more importantly, we told other people that this number should be 29, not 33, and now it's 33, and we're, we're, scared, we're basically scared bleepless. We better do something, even though we did pass the bills. It, that's my assessment of what, of what is going on. I think it's fairly accurate. That, that they yeah, and that's part of the reason that we have, um, you know, kind of lightened up in our in our riskier investments, if you will, like kind of um, sold some of the smaller cap names, sold some of the a little bit of high yield, but 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 we really um, think there's still good opportunities in high yield. But we've we've lightened up here, and it's I would say it's again it's for the short short term because I think we need to get some answers and we need to see a direction. Um, whether it be with the deficit or with our overall debt issue, that's going to start to give investors a little more confidence. One thing that, another thing I'll say though, from from the Fed meeting yesterday, um, and, and I think most people know this, but some people may not be aware. You know, again, I think we'll see one one more hike before year end. Consumer spending is up big, so despite inflation, despite what you're seeing on Main Street with wait, wait, higher wait, what do you mean by despite, gas prices, what do you mean by just? Despite inflation, because of inflation, it's higher. Because of inflation, consumer spending is higher. Yes. Well, if you break out the, if you do it, you know, in, in inflation adjusted, it's still higher. And uh, if, if you the, use their, if you use their number, yeah, use our yeah, number. Exactly. Well, yeah, you're right. There's sometimes you have to look at that. But but the reason I think it's higher, I do think there's still a lot of money in the system. I do know a lot of people who are making a lot of large purchases, whether it be another home at the top of the market. We, we know people that are buying stocks at, at what could be, you know, highs and large multiples like we talked last week. Um, there's, there's the, as you were saying, there's this sort of general talk um, that inflation has stabilized. But if you are somebody, if you're a listener, if you're somebody that's on Main Street, um, you know, besides gas prices going up, which I think is going to continue to happen, go to a restaurant, go to a bar, go to your local grocery store. And although we've seen certain items maybe drop a little, we're still paying those high prices. Sure. And I agree with you that that, is, that, that would be incorporated into consumer spending. But the fact that consumer spending hasn't subsided in this environment is, I think, what's I, really interesting. I, th I think, Dan, I mean, I, I, I have no way, you know, if two of us were professors and had a bunch, bunch of people working for us, we could make them go do it, right? Uh, I, I think if you take the top 10% of the spending out, the people who, who benefited tremendously by COVID yes, and stuff. exactly. You take that point. top percent of the spending out and you put a real inflation adjustment on I'm going to say the bottom 90%, the, the numbers will look horrible. Horrible. You know what? I want to agree with you, but I think what you're saying is, is just in front of us. I think that's just starting to happen because even trying to book flights on air, airplanes, everything is full. Um, you know, trying to make hotel reservations for this upcoming business, couple of upcoming business trips. You know, things are not cheap. There's no bargains. Well, how, many, um, how, many, the, how many hotels? I, I, don't, I don't know the answer to this. How many? How many hotels are closed? I mean, if you go out to restaurants, how many restaurants closed during COVID? Yeah, no, that's true. And so that would send people elsewhere, and it's why why the the other restaurants can can keep their prices high you, you, in this environment. By the way, I don't know about hotels. I, I don't know about hotels as much. I, I think people are still traveling. I think there might be less travel based on higher gas prices. 
Dan, before you go, I rudely interrupted you. You, you were going down the road. You were talking about people um, still doing it. What do you What do you make of uh, the uh, COVID? I don't, I don't know. There's all kinds of different places you can find savings, and where these means or, or averages. It's you know, it's it's a real, it's a tough number. But uh, a few weeks ago, some 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 guy was giving this report talking about whenever we sent out the PPP stuff, which a lot of those companies were individuals, right? So. Or, or you know, sole props and whatever. So that would get stuck in the savings account of that company um, ended up being averaged as the savings of the rest of the people in the country. Right? It wasn't just you and me having a business separate from our personal stuff. A lot of that. Anyway, the bottom line was the savings numbers balloon between that and the checks people got to like the highest number in like you know decades. And uh, and according to this guy. Those numbers are now down below before all that stuff was sent out. So yeah, because, and so because all that people, money's gone. Right, because people's spending habits, and I can think of some specific examples of people I know um, that just inherited It's the same concept, Chief, when somebody, I don't know if you know anybody who's ever won big in the lottery, but I know two people that won really big in the lottery, and one is a good friend's twin sister. and. And just to use her as an example, she ran a, a hair salon in Rhode Island and, you know, she had a family and, you know, she was, you know, kind of doing well because that's a good business. All of a sudden she gets $27 um, million. That's and yes, it's And yes, it is spread out over a period of years. However, within the first year, she um, had to file personal bankruptcy. I know another guy who is a bank auditor. How, how'd, she manage, how'd she manage to do that? What? How'd she manage it's, to do that? The thing is, you and I, we, this is what we do for, for our living, so we, we will naturally be fiscally conservative, we'll naturally live within our means, but I would tell you that the vast number of people out there do not live within their means, they're living on credit, and to your point, credit is going to increase. Credit, it already is. You were talking about debt. Yeah. It already has, yeah. but it'll continue to increase, because people got used to receiving all this money, and now they're... Now they're um, you know, they still want to live at that lifestyle. So yes, the sa- that's why the savings rate has gone down because because they still want to spend at that rate. And uh, I can think of some examples, and I'm not going to mention a, an example of a client, but I'll I'll, I'll call this person a, a friend that had you know that has really wanted to keep up his his spending despite the fact that now he himself is probably teetering with um, you know. So he just went out and bought a top of the line car. Which oh yeah, that's weird. To me does not make sense when you've already retired, and you know. But when you get used to a certain level of spending, that's not me, and that's not you, and that's not a well, lot of people who do what you do. But that's a lot of people out there. Well, I don't. I mean, I have obviously family. I don't have a wife and kids. But if, if I were to get laid off and had you know six months severance or whatever it was, and I had, I would probably try and hang in there. I mean, I'm not going to go into huge debt, but I wouldn't yank the kids out of the school the next day and sell the house. I mean, I'd say, boy, in six months I'll land something. I mean, I, I'd probably cut back some, but I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't panic. I mean, the American way is, six months or a year from now I'll get through this if I keep plugging and I'll find something else and I'll be okay. I mean, the American way is not to panic day one. There's a middle ground there, is what I'm saying. Yeah, and I don't think it, I'm actually kind of saying the opposite. I agree with you totally on that point, but I'm saying something a little different. I'm saying that. And this might just be a, a thing that we see here in Florida that more than other parts of the country because we have a lot of retired people um, and a lot of um, small business owners. And, and I'm not seeing necessarily people just saying, hey, keep the, keep the kid in private school or keep the kids in private school. We're not going to 
got back. I'm seeing more of the people that went from, you know, driving a, you know, I want to call yeah. it a K car, but say driving a Hyundai, just not, now suddenly driving a Jaguar. Yeah, well, that's and, uh, okay, that's over they got time. used to that Jaguar. Now they're gonna they're gonna go up, and that's a little more of what we we've seen here. I think in terms of the way money has been spent, and there are a lot of people that need a. I wouldn't even say a high school. I want to say a course in elementary school that t- teaches oh. you about personal finance. Oh, without a doubt. Hey, by the way, do you have any relatives in Illinois? Not in Illinois, no. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm asking if this guy was your uncle. Some guy did one of those scratch-offs lottery things yesterday. It must have been ones at like 25 or 30 bucks. That's how much those, those things cost. The guy wins a million bucks. The guy's like, he was either 65 or 70. I just heard bits and pieces of it on the radio. He, he finds out he's a winner. Pulls out his cell phone, calls his boss, and quits. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's and that's exactly what. Well, the other and the other thing that's happened is seeing. I, and I've mentioned this before. Is seeing, you know, I really have an issue with this quote remote work thing. And some companies, in fact, the company I was talking about earlier, the software company that that for non for profits, fantastic company, but they have what they call a remote first, so nobody goes into the office anymore. I don't agree with that. Neither do most CEOs. That's because it's, so the it's not thing, for profit. Fine, but but it changes. I've watched it change people. I've watched the hundred percent. It's not just that. Yeah, their productivity level is okay. It's about the same. I don't think it is. And I also think they miss out on the social skills. And then it starts affecting them personally. And I've seen it affect. Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. People personally, and it's it's just it's not a healthy thing to do one hundred percent remote. I don't care what industry you're in. You're sitting there watching the. You're watching the right wing or left wing channel all day or something. I mean, it's in you know, hey, but the uh, you know I think real quick, Dan, because we got a dash. But again, I always, I always come back. I know I'm boring the crap out of people, but I always come back to the numbers. And when when people started to work remote three years ago, and you didn't give them a raise, okay, well maybe now the car is three years older for them to get back to work. They got to get another car. And by the way, gas is a lot higher. By the way, parking is a lot higher. If you don't say uh, Greg, by the way, I need you in the office five days a week. I know it's going to cost you more. I'm going to give you. I'm going to goose you a twenty percent raise to make it easier. Nobody's doing that. But you, you, but you need to recognize that that the childcare yeah. is now up, and and how all of a sudden now that's going to somebody all of a sudden having to leave home and come here. And I agree with you. That's why they call it work, right? Uh, but the fact is, there's a big difference in scratcho, and I mean money scratcho, not scratch off, and coming to work every day and that, and that's going up probably. 30% since the person started to stay home. The firms have to recognize that a little bit, I think. No, I, I absolutely agree. Um, can I quickly do yes. two quick quick stock ideas? Yes. Or two quick um, I, Please investment do. ideas? One of them we've talked about before. It's Otter Tail, um, ticker symbol O-T-T-R. I uh, met with them again yesterday. We own the stock. It's a uh, utility that's based out of Minnesota. Their, um, their markets are north and south. Dakota in the southern part of Minnesota. They're, they're, um, they also do um, plastic piping. Their business is doing very well, well managed, a good... These are the guys that are big on the renewables too, right? In renewables, yes. Yeah. They, they're, they're big in renewables. Um, that's my, that's a, a top pick on the, on the equity side. And on the bond side, um, this company that we have, where we've owned the bonds for quite a while and met with the management yesterday at this conference, uh, NPO is the ticker symbol. NPO, NPRO, uh, capital E N P R O, is the name of the company. They do sealant technology. They do um, 
you know, hydraulic components, and they also do uh, what they call surface technologies, predominantly for semiconductors. Um, Chief, at this conference, there were so many people signed up for the one-on-one -on -one meetings that all one-on-one -on -one meetings became five-on-ones. Wow. <laughs> so that means that the people at the conference who are equity buyers love this company, and if you love the stock, you're gonna love the bonds. So the bonds are three-year bonds, they trade, they, they're giving you about 7%. They pay a coupon interest rate, annual coupon interest rate of five and three quarters, and they're due October 15th of 26. So almost exactly, um, almost exactly a three-year bond. Um, you're getting 200 basis points over treasuries. That's, you know, getting 2% more than the comparable three-year treasury. It's got a strong double B rating. So it's not investment grade, but that's a pretty good return. A pretty good you're, buying a, for you're buying at a discount too, so you get a little capital gain there. Always buy at a discount. Yeah. We that's that's our rule. That's one of our major rules that I learned way back when from one of the one of the gurus in my business, um, Dan Fuss, when I started at Loomis. Always buy at a discount. The bonds will be callable, and I would love for them to be called in October at a premium at oh, one one and a half. Yeah. Right, so it's a good it's a good solid seven percent, if nothing else, for the next three years. You can lock that in, and if rates go higher, buy some more. Great, Dan. Thank you very much, buddy. Have a nice weekend. Edward, you too. SP Futures now down 42. NASDAQ Futures down 201. Every single stack in the Dow page is, is in red. Let's go a real quick break, Greg, because we got John waiting. Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding healthcare reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day -day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage healthcare costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630-401-8810 or search us on the web at CognosHR.com. Cognos HR, innovation in human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello and welcome back to Stocks and Jacks. I'm talking Greg Pappas on the board. Markets are uh, ouch this morning, pretty much everywhere. S&P futures down 40, NASDAQ futures down 195, individual stocks. The entire, my entire column here where I have the, uh, the, the Dow and everything else up here is, is negative. I got NVIDIA down almost 10 bucks, that's 2.3%. So in the Dow we've got, uh, well we got Caterpillar down 361, we got Goldman Sachs down 4. There isn't a winner in here, Microsoft's down 225. Uh, every, everything. I mean, we'll go around the rest of the world and nobody's up. Uh, Europe, uh, DAX down 210, that's 1.3%. FTSE down 30.4%. They're hanging in there because they did not ra lower uh, raise rates when they thought they were going to because they claim the inflation's cooling a little bit. CAC around down 120, that's 1.6%. That's even more than uh, Germany. Over in Asia, we've got the Nikkei down 452, that's 1.4%. Hang Seng down 230, 1.3%. Down to 17,655. 
Shanghai only down 24.8%, so they're relatively hanging in there. Again, this is after yesterday's kind of debacle where the Dow was only down 76, but S&P down 41. That's almost a full 1%. NASDAQ was down 209, it's 1.5%. So we're carrying on with that, which isn't good. Uh, Bond up 13 basis points now, 4.48, blowing through the recent several year high of 4.36. It's a big move. Uh, Bund up 7 basis points, 2.77. Japan up 3.75. We've got oil uh, down a little bit today, under 90 bucks, down 26 cents, 89.40. Brent down 34 cents, 93.19. Natural gas down 3 cents, 270. Our Bob uh, unchanged at 262. Gold, whack, whack on the gold. Down 29.80, it's percent, percent and a half, 19.37. Cannot stay above 19.50. It's like whack them all up there. Same thing with silver. Got up almost to 24 bucks after being 22.50 earlier in the week. It's down 57 cents today. Copper down 12 cents. We've got crypto down 3.46 now. 26,590. Uh, and we've got the. Let me get my graph out of the way here. So with the U.S. dollar is uh, is where are we here? Now it's up against everybody. Uh, the euro is down to 106, and the British pound is down to 122.5. Both pretty serious lows from about uh, several months, the last several months. So everything's moving here today. Uh, Greg, what do you got for us, Traffic Weather Sports? Morning, everyone. 738, 65 in Chicago, 72 today. Phoenix, 73 right now, 98 today, sunny. Um, in the MLB news, Sox lose at Washington, 13 or 3 to 13. Pitt. Pittsburgh beats the Cubs 13-7. Diamondbacks beat San Francisco 7-1. And Bears news, Alan Williams, uh, the defensive coordinator, resigned. He said, it is with great regret that I tender my resignation as the defensive coordinator, effective immediately. I am taking a step back to take care of my health and my family. End quote. That's all I got, Chief. Back to you. What about the FBI? Well, nothing verified yet. Ah, all right. What about Mr. Flanagan? He usually has his finger on the pulse of this kind of stuff. I did hear that somebody in the Bears contested the claim that there were police there, but I guess if the FBI were there, they might be able to say the police weren't here. So, Yeah, the FBI was not at Hallis Hall, uh, according to the Bears. <laughs> That's a, it's, there's a... Can you believe anything anybody says out of that place? It's crazy. It gets curiouser and curiouser. You know, it's... John, this whole idea that we can now sports gambling is going to save us all without any problems. I'm not. I'm not saying it, I have no idea that that's any part of this thing, but it will be one of these days. At the end, it actually says, "I value the NFL Shield and all that it stands for." After taking some time to address my health, I plan to come back and coach again. Coach Allen B. Williams. Well, maybe the guy is sick. I mean, it's possible somebody could tell the truth. I suppose. I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> it would different. <laughs> it would it would be different. It'd be unusual. I, uh, yeah. It would a little the little spin, you know. I always, you know, it gets to the point. Uh, John, I always figured, and Greg, that there's there's kind of three levels of BS, right? Uh, you know, one one level is somebody if you if you walk in and your you know your mom's on her deathbed and she goes, "How was your day?" You might say it was a good day because it's about her, not about you that day, right? Uh, then there's like the second level is, you know, you, you do it for business or that kind of thing. And then the third level is whatever you feel like people want to hear, you just say it. <laughs> Without any regard to what the truth really is. And so I think some politicians can get that way. A lot of people can get that way. I've known a few. Yep. They, they just yep. get so practiced at it that they never even, there's never never even a, 
I, I find it the uh, doing a show in the morning. I mean, I don't know about. I don't ever want to have to listen to it again. I mean, I, I, and I whatever I have to feel confident that whatever I say, I at least think is the truth at the moment. So if I ask the same question later in the day, I'm going to give the same answer. Otherwise, I don't know how you could. I don't know how you could go through the day if 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 you were on for an hour or two every day and BSing your way through it. How do you even remember what your BS was? Well, that's that's the uh, the you know real thing of the floor is me that you can keep a straight face or not just you know forget what your message is supposed to be and go completely off the you know radar. Um, how do you keep all this stuff straight if none of it has any kind of grounding? What you really think? Well, I, I mean, if you, if you think at all, I mean, you, you might have been around when uh, I wasn't. Um, when uh, you know, politicians could do like a whistle stop tour, and I guess off the back of the train, you could say a bunch of crap in Peoria, and, and 50 miles down the line, you probably could say something different, and maybe some reporter might pick up the differences. But you know, I, I, I suppose you wouldn't have had to worry about it that much in those days. But now these guys in Washington, they seem to, they'll say something today that totally contradicts something they said the week before, and they don't seem to care. <laughs> even, even if you put them on the same, the same film next to each other, talking about two different, the subject, two different answers in two weeks, they don't seem to care. Do they, they just think that the news is such a fast-flowing thing and nobody will remember anything from one day to the next? They must. Well, and they, they, I think they're pretty confident too, Tom, that there aren't enough people who cover politics as, you know, their livelihood who are going to notice inconsistencies or contradictions from place to place in what the messaging is. And if, if anything, the fact that we've got all electronic messaging now where everybody can access it, but there's no you know, gatekeepers or keeping track of, of what's changed about this from day to day. Everybody assumes that it's all just made up on the spot to satisfy you know, audience A versus audience B. And the fact that this person may look like he or she is lying through their teeth is not, you know, much concern to any people who report on it. It's presumed to be how they do business. And that's something that's, I think, you know, you wouldn't think you could get away with that much in, 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 in a time as we live in now where everything is potentially under scrutiny and doesn't go away unless somebody takes down a website and prevents you from accessing it. It's there somewhere. And yet there's no you know, kind of energy to say, hey, look, let's line these things up side by side and say, what the heck is going on with candidate A? And, you know, how, how do they get away with this? Because everybody lets them get away with it. Nobody thinks it's worth calling attention to. I have so, a piece of uh, paper up here somewhere because I just been cleaning up. And I don't, of course, now I put it away where I would be always able to find it. Now I can't find it. Um, it has to do with, uh, this is a years ago column where somebody wrote, and we're talking about how one of the reasons why you have this divisiveness in the country is there's so much alleged news or, or, or crap that's out there that somebody's vote clearly isn't worth the effort to really dig through all the detail and all this stuff. I mean, we do because we're on the show, and we're I, you know, I, I think everybody here does because it's something people follow. I mean, Lou obviously follows all this stuff because that's his livelihood as well. And Dan follows, you know, the companies and the market because that's his life. But, I mean, we're, we're we're special people, not because we're special, special. Because, but this is the stuff that we. I mean, my job is to watch this stuff for clients so they don't have to, basically, right? And then and have some knowledge of investment on top of it. Uh, so I mean, we're 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 more in tune to it. But said so the the regular person that actually has you know the family and stuff to do and everything, the you 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 essentially abdicate 
your 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 views on things to whatever side you're at. So when you see an issue, the first thing you do is say, okay, what are the people on the right going to think about this? And I'm on the side they're on. Or what are the people on the left going to think about it? You really don't have the time when, if it's a specific issue and you and I are having a beer with the guy or lady and we explain something, they probably would have an intelligent idea about where they stand on it. But if there's 50 of them a day, you, you end up just believing whatever your side believes instead of realizing that even if you're, if you're the, the, the biggest left winger in the world, something a right winger says might actually make some sense. Or the other way around. I mean, I mean, I, I would, uh, you know, like Jose Canseco. I don't know that I'd believe the guy about investments or anything, but when it came to steroids, I'm going to listen because I mean, he, he knows a lot. I have a feeling the dude knows a lot about steroids that I don't. I mean, so I mean, but nobody's even willing to give anybody that sort of, uh, you know, uh, I'll, I'll say, even that kind of a salute that there's somebody on the far right. Okay, well, I don't like the far right, but that doesn't mean. The person can't teach me about 10 different stocks or how to fix my truck. Or I mean, people don't even give anybody that kind of grace anymore. I mean, it's kind of crazy. No, the, the, the presumption now is that you don't really have the, the need or the freedom to speak your mind about a lot of stuff. And you, you take kind of you know a, a protective you know approach to hiding behind the people that you're aligned with, with who, you know, will back you up and say you didn't mean it to say you know, something a that conflicted with what the party line is supposed to be, but but the presumption is that nobody speaks their mind in politics anymore. That no. everybody has been given talking points, and they don't deviate them from from them intentionally anyway. Sometimes they screw up and they say things they didn't mean. And the White House press secretaries kept busy trying to fix things that Biden says that he clearly, if, if he were following the script, would not have said. But he did say them, and it's on tape. But but. Politicians generally are presumed not to have any kind of freedom to think for their own, and that's that's horrific. You know. Well, I mean, it's like the yin and the, the opposite ends of a magnet. I don't, I don't really want to always talk to people who disagree with me on everything. <laughs> most, most of you guys do, but that's okay. It's fine. You're all friends, and it's it's all cool. Because we're. I also know that I never really learned anything from anybody who agreed with me on everything. So I mean, right. so there, there, there's like there's, there's a middle ground there somehow that we seem to have lost. This, this, this is Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s you know quandary and what he's been you know saying in public statements in the Wall Street Journal op-ed that he you know put up, up last week or the early part of this week that you know he doesn't get any traction among Democrats because they've all closed ranks saying that anybody who says what he says we, we, there's no room for him in the right. Democratic Party. And he feels, I think, like a lot of a lot of Democrats or former Democrats felt that the party has sort of circled their wagons and driven out people that they should otherwise be embracing as as part of of their heritage and you know part of their name recognition and everything else. And it's you know the, the Democrats want him gone at all costs. They don't want him participating at the base. They don't want to give him secret service right. protection. You name it, they want him gone completely. And he's kind of you know saying how how that's you know, an affront to him. And it should be to, to anybody who knows what the history of the Democratic Party is that they just consider him a non-entity. He's he's no more non-entity than Joe Biden. Well, I, sure. I'm with you. Yeah, but my, my uh, friend of the show until he moved to the burbs, well, he's still a friend of the show, but he can't come into the show anymore because he doesn't work downtown. Kevin Reardon, this has had to be a decade ago. And he says, you know, Chief, you're a, you're a, a moderate Democrat. You don't have a party anymore because I'm a moderate Republican. I don't have a party anymore. 
what are we going to do? <laughs> and, you know, this is this is before a couple of cocktails. And it's and the, the, the two guys, uh, I don't know who the other guy was, I don't know who the Republican was, was it, was it Evan Bayh and, and somebody else? Uh, Indiana, you know, big liberal, big conservative, ran, uh, I don't know if it was Face the Nation, it was one of those things, on the radio. And they were both talking about how, what has to happen with the, uh, the country. And I don't think these guys ever agreed on anything politically in their life, but you could tell they were actually pretty good friends, you know, and, uh, and they didn't mind talking to each other or whatever. And they, they came to a total agreement. It said the, the middle class, the people that used to be 60% or 50% of the country, is now down to, you know, whatever, 15 or 20. He goes, I don't know which one of them said it. It might have been Bob, but the other guy agreed. He goes, we got to put our big boy pads on. And uh, I'll, I'll ask you, Greg, what he knows what the big boy pads are. We got to put our big boy pads on, and we got to take this country back. We have to come up with the money that takes politics back from the extreme right and the extreme left, because nobody wants either one of those people. He goes, but we we've got to go do it, or else they're just going to run right all over us, which is they've been doing. The other guy goes, I agree, hundred percent. He goes, the people in the middle uh, are, are lost, and and they probably still are the majority, but don't act like it. Well, the only way the parties kind of meet in the center, Tom, it has nothing to do with their moderate positions on anything, but in their crookedness. And they're both crooked in much the same way and to serve the same crooked masters. But the idea that you could have two opposed you know, politicians speaking as if there's common ground between them and pitching a message that you shouldn't listen to the, listen to the extremes of either party here, that isn't going to fly in network TV coverage at all. That That's just... That's gone the way of the well, dodo. You and, wants you, you and Kevin the and there's any, any common ground at all. You and Kevin and Lou, maybe to a certain extent, Mike. Maybe I don't know, but he's probably more middle. But you guys are on the opposite, not opposite, because. But I would say if we were in government together, there might be out of ten issues, there's like one we couldn't resolve. The other nine, we yeah, no agree problem. on more than we disagree on. That's that's a that's a dirty message today, Tom. Because that, then you might actually see. You know, a rejection of what's been passing for bipartisanism, you know, in legislating for the last 30 or 40 years, which is just masquerading as something else. Um, but if you really thought that there's, there's the possibility that you could bridge some gap between the parties to get common sense solutions to problems, I don't think either party wants that message to get out. I'm sorry. You know, that's bad for their business. Well, it, but I, I, think, I think it's being orchestrated, and, I, and even though. I've been an entrepreneur my whole life and, and love business and love the American way of business. Obviously, being a trader in trading floor for 20 years, I, I like competition. I think we're being played by these big companies and rich people. I really do. And I'm not anti-rich at all. I think we're being played. I think I don't see how you you can solve, and I don't want to sound like Carl too much, although I love Carl, I don't think you can solve the medical problem in this country, the, the costs and all this stuff, Without seriously cracking down on the on the abuses of the companies that are doing it in the hospitals, I mean the idea that you're going to charge somebody two thousand dollars for a test that costs you fifty bucks or something, that has to that has to be stopped. Now whether you can do it by legislation, whether you whether you got to do it in handcuffs, whatever you got to do, I don't know. You got to do it though, John, because we we can't afford it. It has nothing to do with right or left. You just can't do it. You can't you can't be you, you can't have uh, you know. Uh, Three t- three tests on a, on a on a Sunday or a Saturday, where it would cost them the, the you know the uh, marginal cost of that is 
a thousand dollars, you can't have somebody be in charge twenty thousand, and that, that's half of their year's salary. You can't do that. You just can't. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't care what side you're on. You can't do that. And, and, and I'm with you. And somehow or another, the places that do it have to be either a told not to be. You have to give money to places that can compete against them and do it for the real price. I'd like to keep it within the competitive system. But I don't know how you bring... This is one of the hardest things. I mean, even the guys in the University of Chicago, uh, you know, that were, were you know, liberal uh, econ- economists, uh, I don't know. Taking a business that is, is so far basically up the ass of government and in largesse and, in, and used to stealing from people, how you turn that business around to be competitive. I mean, anybody who thinks... That the that the uh, oil and gas business is not competitive. It it is light years more competitive than 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 your than the current medical establishment. Not even close. Oh, Am I right or wrong? I mean, we're not even yeah, on the same no. planet. Absolutely. I mean, Tom, I'd like to something maybe that Nancy and Audrey, you know, can chime in about maybe Monday or you know the next Monday. Um, something that I. I've been reading about, and it's about you know the most vulnerable counties for real estate downturns in the country. And they're all centered in you know big northern blue state cities, Philadelphia, New York, and Chicago. It's got to be it's got to be Boston. I mean, Dance is the place there is still going up. Oh, and, and, and yeah, and, and you know there's other cities that are in trouble too. Sacramento has some you know, you know potential. Well, this is just potential you know vulnerability. It doesn't mean that everything's started to fall apart by any means. But the six counties. Um, in the Chicago metro area that are considered vulnerable um, are Cook, DeKalb, Kane, Kendall, Will, and Porter County in Indiana. And what's interesting to me is that the counties in that same metro area that are not on this list of most vulnerable, and that would be, you know, Lake, McHenry, and DuPage counties for whatever reason. But I think there's a reason why some of these other counties are vulnerable, and you you look at some of the outlying ones like Kendall and DeKalb and even Western Kane County that exploded in development in the seventies, eighties, and nineties, and you know, big mansions being built, you know, CEOs, oh, yeah. company people li- living out there taking the train in every day, um, and you know all of a sudden there, there were kind of like major new wealthy developments going up, and those have now. You know, I think the gloss is off of that, and the other counties, Lake, DuPage, and McHenry, didn't really experience that particular growth at that time, and they were you know, in some ways more established than Lake and DuPage, and not as much room for development. But I think we're seeing kind of you know the, the pipers being paid now for what happened in the 80s and 90s, when it seemed like that you could keep building farther out and farther out, and people would still make the trek in. To their jobs in downtown Chicago every day, and these are people with you know some purchasing power and some wealth, and it got taxed very heavily to build these new communities out of farmland, and now the whole thing is starting to like teeter, you know, because there isn't the need to go in every day. You're looking for reasons not to go in at all if you can help it, and we're now going to see a kind of, you know, rethinking of the whole idea of where these places are situated and whether they make financial sense or not. And I, I worry that you know maybe Chicago will suffer like the rest of them, but but it's the outlying counties that may be in the biggest trouble. And that that I think is kind of something I've, I've worried about for some time. That, that that when this 
you know, bloom started to fade in these places, it would take a lot of people and personal wealth down with it and, and in their real estate holdings. Well, if you don't have any, any business group around, and I'm not you know, the tax expert on that, but I, I know that Evergreen Park, where we grew up, well, after you know, we left the city, Evergreen Park is surrounded by the city. So in my, my, you could always say you're from Chicago. We've lived in Evergreen Park because you're surrounded on three sides, right? It's like a bite out of the city. So it's not like you're in, you know, Moni. Uh, but the taxes on Evergreen Park were always less than Chicago. Matter of fact, we were across the street from Chicago. I'd think we live at 102nd place. And on one side was Evergreen Park, was our side, and the other side was Chicago. So we had the Chicago streetlights on the other side, right? So we had that benefit. But Evergreen Park was cheaper because Evergreen Plaza was a was a thriving business. It was just a hubbub of, pl- of business. Huge engine. A huge retails. engine. And uh, they pretty much carried the village. And uh, over a period of time, you know, demographics changed and blah, blah, blah. So Evergreen Plaza became... It actually was Arthur Rubloff's first development. Going back, how long was that? I mean, God, the guy's been dead for how long? Uh, and all of a sudden, downhill, downhill, downhill. And then they end up at a golf course there, Evergreen Country Club. And they decided, okay, we, first they wouldn't let the ladies sell because they were afraid black people might move in, right? <laughs> so then they said, you have to sell. And they made a, they condemned part of it and gave it to Walmart, Sam's, and Menards. And uh, I think it's Menards. Yeah, it's Menards. And uh, so now they got these three huge places essentially across the street from where the plaza used to be. And the plaza is making a little bit of a comeback, but it's no longer inside. There's no longer double duck parking, all that stuff. And uh, But they, I'm going to say they gave these guys such a deal, uh, John, to get them there. The incentive, you know, for the for these big companies, they don't pay crap at these places. Well, you know, they pay something, but it's not... They don't pay as much as the plaza used to, square footage, I don't believe at all. Right. So right. so now they're there, but Evergreen Park doesn't have that engine, and now Evergreen Park's taxes are higher in Chicago's, correct? Right. And, uh, and the same thing happened out in, uh, if you want to look at the housing stock, for when, Jan, when you and I were Utes, Utes, the second nicest place to live in Illinois b- behind uh, Lake Forest or Kenilworth was always Flossmore. The housing stock is gorgeous. This is far south side. Far south side in Olympia Fields, that area is spectacular. All of a sudden, it's not so spectacular. We've had demographic changes. And oh, by the way, they had an economic engine down there with Lincoln Mall, right? Lincoln Mall, right. Lincoln Mall goes under. Well, now, if you walked out there, if Audrey were to show you the house, and I mean, I'm not that up on it. If she was here, she could tell you exactly. Uh, she could show you a house in uh, Flossmore, and you look at the place, and it's like 2.30, and you go, what do you mean, 2.30? I couldn't put this thing back up for a million and a half. Well, the taxes might be 50 or 45. Because, right. I mean, so your, your tax is going to be more than your mortgage. And it's it, we've seen that happen all over the... It's it's really, really unfair in this whole way it works out, John. I mean, it, I mean the idea that... I mean, I'm not, I'm not all for the, the federal government being involved in local schools. I'm not all that involved, you know, the state being all that much in local schools, but I think it would probably make sense in the interest, and I'm not, you know, doing the democratic thing or whatever, if the federal government and the state were to start out with three or four grand to every school in the country as a base, and then the local could pile up on top of it. And the difference in, in, in money that Nutria can send to a place versus somebody in rural Mississippi, I don't know if it should be that much. And I'm not saying it should be even, but you know what I'm saying? I mean, there almost needs to be some sort of a equalizer here without being socialist, if that's possible. 
Because then, of course, everybody else will say, oh, no, now you got to run it up to 100% of it, which I don't want to go there. But I think, you know, the idea that, you know, for instance, the st- city and state don't give the Catholic schools any money. And then when they fold up, all of a sudden they've got 500 new people to deal with in a public school. I think it'd be a lot cheaper to give them a little bit, don't you think? Oh, yeah. Well, and you, you, you mentioned, you know, the the fact that the plaza folded and that drove up everybody's textbook on Evergreen Park, that's the same phenomenon in Kane County and, you know, places that distant from, you know, city center Chicago, where malls were the engine that, that drew people there and gave people, you know, retail alternatives when people actually shop in stores and the market, you know, was able to handle that and it was a magnet for other investment and business development and people building houses and everything well that's that's gone now i just you know that's a declining industry it's becoming a dinosaur and there's no way i see to replace that by letting the market kind of decide other than that you're going to have ghost towns and collapsed real estate values that are going to put the kids on any kind of reactivation of these communities for a long time to come john we have to dash there is a hazard in letting the market well there also is there there is a there is a big hazard in having, and I don't know, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll call him out, but I probably shouldn't, but may, maybe Pritzker, if he has a list of all the people who dodged the sales taxes by ordering stuff online, maybe his, maybe if the top ten uh, people that abused it, maybe one of them is his wife, and he doesn't want to go after But the idea that you would not collect taxes on people that bought stuff out of state when pe- to abuse your people here who actually have a building and are paying property taxes, John, that is so ignorant, I can't even go there. I mean, the, the idea that you let people walk into a, a Best Buy, look at a TV, get on their phone and order one from Wisconsin and not to pay tax, how do, you, how do you allow that to happen as a state? Right. Or, or giveaways to the Chinese to build, you know, battery factories yeah. in Illinois. There's a lot of you know, need for that, that kind of capital investment for people in Illinois. One would think. John, am I going to see you tonight? I hope so. You hope so. It's only a few hours away. What do you- I know. Are you going to try and work up a disease between now and then, or what? Oh, no, no. <laughs> Hopefully I'll see you tonight, but Greg, you, Greg will be with us. We have Our guys coming down. We have people, so it should be fun. A couple of our uh, Notre Dame buddies, Mr. Mike Murphy, I'm, if he calls in tomorrow, he'll be calling in from Daryl's house, but that'll be okay. SP Futures down 34. The market looks sick this morning. SP Futures down 180. Back tomorrow, Stocks and Jocks. Stocks and Jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI Pro Direct. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708-349-3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. Cairo Med. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. DAX Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968. Stocks and Jocks is brought to you by...